Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Over the years of doing this podcast, I've had the pleasure of interviewing some really great guests from all different backgrounds, and I love hearing their experience and life lessons and getting to share it with all of you. Today's guest is one of my personal favorites, and I hope you feel the same way. Shantae Hall is an Air Force veteran who has made a name for herself in the veteran community. Shantae is the CEO of Centurion Military Alliance, an organization committed to helping veterans improve their transition experience, and the president of Victory Trades Alliance, an organization that connects veterans with employers and business owners in the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing trades industry. Shantae talks about her role in both of those organizations and what led her there, as well as the evolution of her post-military career and the defining moments thus far. She also shares valuable advice for all transitioning service members and veterans. If you have any questions about this episode or ideas for a future show, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hi, Shantae. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to be speaking with you. Thank you so very much for having me. I'm absolutely looking forward to this podcast. Yes, and you have such an impressive background that I know everyone listening will enjoy hearing about. So can you just set the stage by telling me a little bit about your background, where you come from, education, military career, anything you want to share with us? Absolutely, Megan. Thank you. So, well, early on when when it was time to make career decisions in, in high school, it's always comical when you start looking at high schoolers and career pathways uh, and, and kind of why they choose what they choose. Someone recently shared with me that they went into a career fair field specifically because he was told that he would meet a lot of women. So <laughs> it's it's always comical to kind of hear the, the early on story. I actually come from a military family and every single person in my family, immediate family served in the Air Force. And so I knew early on exactly what what my decision was going to be that I was going to join the United States Air Force. I was going to pursue my education and then I was going to get out, have a family. You know, you have all of these these dreams, if you will. And I did join the United States Air Force and I ended up staying for almost 15 years versus the four that I initially had planned pre-September 11th. I think that most listening are well aware that September 11th drastically changed our military on a whole. And so that definitely impacted career decisions and goals. Um, Go ahead, Megan. Oh, you know, I was gonna say, um, I think most of our listeners are, you know, 9-11 veterans. So, um, and you know, that sort of era. So I think like you said, and I'm sure most of them can relate that that did have a big impact in a lot of people even joining after September 11th, but it was such a defining moment for anybody in the military. It, it absolutely was. And, you know, pre-September 11th, the United States Air Force was was just different. I was actually enrolled in college full-time in California at a community college. And when I think about one of the top reasons why individuals join the military, it's absolutely for education. And, and that's one of, again, the, those number one reasons. And being enrolled in college full-time, it's not something that you take for granted. I was very proud of the fact that I could serve this great nation and also go to college and and utilize my benefits. But after September 11th, the deployments not only ramped up, but the education system wasn't set for a military service member's success, if you will. It wasn't set up at the time for accomplishing a, a career pathway, the degree, the certification, the licensure. And I, I share that because I tried every platform, you know, a, as we progressed within society, I actually tried every platform. So whether that was with the local community college at the time, not allowing me to make up work that I had missed due to September 11th um, and the frustrations that came from that, I believe allowed the the DOD to really kind of vet and be able to change the standards on education on a whole, which we're also completely grateful for now. In in 2020, if you don't, you know, have your level of education required for a job, your certifications, your licensures, if there are any excuses, I, I would love to hear those and why. Because again, you know, as I looked at how am I going to continue to pursue 
these these goals that I had. And so early on, you know, again, being committed towards education, being committed towards the United States Air Force and, and accomplishing my goals and, and my time and continuing to give back, that four years went to almost 10 years of active duty. And within that time span, Megan, I was able to accomplish various college courses, whether it was, okay, I'm home for a couple months before another deployment or trying to teach myself math with Liberty University videotapes on a deployment to University of Phoenix um, coming out with the online program at the time. But it, again, it wasn't structured with the level of understanding and awareness and the tools to be able to successfully navigate towards accomplishing one's goals. And, and so now, again, when I look at 2020 and what we're able to do with education, I'm astounded and, and proud of the fact that all of us, whether it was colleges and universities, the Department of Education, uh, you know, the Department of, of Defense, like coming in and saying, hey, you will provide these pathways for our military. I'm very proud of that. Um, but what led me to transitioning out of the military was very much so geared towards accomplishing, again, those educational goals and wanting to finish, wanting to walk away with degree in hand and, and not the back-to-back -back deployments and, and that fast-paced environment that was never ending at the time. Mm -hmm. And did you mention yet what you studied when you were in school and what you were interested in at that time? At the time, I was I was taking the, the necessary classes towards, again, accomplishing a, a bachelor's. And it, it was kind of geared towards business, but I was dabbling in kinesiology and, and health. And I became a certified personal trainer through San Diego State University. And it was it's still something I'm very passionate about today, this, this physical fitness. And it was also a part of the military culture. And, and so when I look at kind of strategically aligning oneself with the culture that they represent, fitness, again, very much so was a part of that. And so when I got out of the military, I sat down with my family and again, both parents having served, my, my father was very immersed in the educational system, if you will, and has been for a very long time now. And he said, if you want to look at positioning yourself and, and looking at societal demands, you need to really look at a bachelor's in business versus a bachelor's in kinesiology, because you already have the certifications and the licensures needed. You have, you have everything that's needed to walk into any fitness center or to be able to open up your own business. But if you wanna be successful in your business, you need to understand the business world. And, and honestly, Megan, that was some of the best advice I ever received and led me on this academic pathway. Um, and again, coupled with the GI Bill benefits of, of the changes, 2011, they came out and they said, anyone now going to online school, you will actually receive your GI Bill benefits, your stipend, your basic allowance for housing. And so with all of these benefits, I was actually able to finish an MPA with an emphasis in government and policy, an HR uh, master's level uh, certificate, as well as an executive career coach certificate. And now I'm finishing a doctorate. I'm actually in, in the last stages, so considered a doctoral candidate now at this point. That is so awesome. Congratulations. And you know, when I, when I hear you talking about that, you just sound so accomplished. And um, it, honestly, it sort of sounds like maybe your military transition was easy for you. And I'm sure that's the wrong assumption for me to make. <laughs> were there any challenges that stand out to you in hindsight um, that you think about when you were in your military transition, just things that maybe were different than you thought they would be, or just overall challenging? You know, when I think about the, the challenges that we face as we transition from the military, I, I think about all the stories that are out there right now. And and we're constantly having these conversations about the challenges. This morning, I was thinking about our, our conversation today, Megan, and, and I, I remembered a challenge that I faced when I joined the military. And I thought this morning, I put a different spin on it. I thought, you know, the challenges, we sometimes get so stuck in the challenges of transition that we forget the challenges that we faced when we actually joined the military. And I'll never forget, I was 17 years old. I actually graduated high school early in, in January and was 
in basic training by March, graduated basic training in my technical school before my class even graduated high school. And I remember the second day of basic training, it is one has been put through the ringer, if you will, and, and it's utter exhaustion. Um, even though I grew up in the military culture and I was very confident, uh, some would probably have said cocky at the time in my demeanor, thinking of, oh, I've got this, I can handle this, this will be nothing. This was, I was raised in this environment. I know some of the military training instructors. There's no battle I can't face. And day two, I remember as we were getting our gear, I was standing outside San Antonio, Texas, so the the brutal heat, and I remember just feeling the weight of the bag on my back, you know, being a what, probably 96-pound young girl and, and holding the weight of all of this gear, and I was in the front of the formation, and I remember slowly I was falling out. Just it, it was just like that slow, like, you know, you're about to go down. <laughs> and as I, I, you know, everyone said my face went completely pale. I lost all the color to my skin and I start falling. And I remember my military training instructor coming and screaming in my face, get up, get up, get up. And, and he would not stop. And not only did he tell me to get up which you just do. I don't know where that strength comes from, <laughs> but you just get up. And I went all the way to the back of the formation because now I was no longer going to be one of the leaders because I couldn't, obviously I couldn't hack it. <laughs> and, and knowing that not only was I told to get up, but to get to the back, it, it puts, it's kind of that gut check for a moment of, wow, I better really step up my game here. And, and I need to, I'm going to make it no matter what. And I think the military culture, what I love about our culture is that not only do we tell each other to get up, but we tell each other to do things that we have never done before. There is nothing that we cannot face together as a team and further as an individual. I had to make that conscious effort to get up. And now again, it's I, I tell you, I don't know where that strength comes from, but it's just knowing that no matter what around you, it's that push for success, it's that drive. And so when we get out of the military, I think the biggest challenge is actually being told that you can't be successful, is actually the no's that you hear along the way, the looks of judgment, the perception from whether it's, uh, you know, now let's just take, let's just take COVID, for example, this pandemic of they're viewing me on a picture on social media. They're judging me by one word that I say, as we were talking about, you know, you and I, Megan, the challenges of being women in the workforce and being mothers in the workforce and, and being told, no, you couldn't possibly, or how do you have time for this? Or how will you, Shantae, get a master's degree, be a director at the YMCA and serve in the United States Air Force Reserves? So honestly, as I look at, and there are so many challenges that were faced, but the biggest challenge was in the disbelief of who I, of who I was as a human being. And I think that's the biggest shock. And again, that gut check reaction of, wow, I was just knocked down a few pegs. <laughs> How am I going to rise up and improve myself anyways? Mm -hmm. I think that's such a great life lesson too. And I, I really get what you mean when you're coming out of the military and you have this um, this grit that you think, you know, a lot of civilians do not have. They just haven't been put in those experiences. And so proving that and then also translating that into why it would make you a good candidate for a job is is really challenging. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, again, it's that conscious choice that we make to rise above no matter what. And I think that challenge has has led me to be self-aware. You know, at the time, Megan, there was two directions I could go. I could fall down and well they told me I can't so I guess I can't <laughs> I'm not even gonna try and you know and, and you could wallow in in the self-pity of it or you can rise and I can remember the face of those that believed in me and pushed me to always be successful no matter what and whatever that success looks like in its own right and and so I chose at that time to 
know myself so well to to meet these societal norms and to go above it. So to get the education that was needed to be successful, that to keep every single day, I was going to put one foot in front of the other and, and rise to meet individuals where they needed to be met. I wasn't going to allow the judgments that others had on me, nor was I going to judge them for their judgments of me. And I think that lesson alone is huge. I, I could have looked at when I heard some of these things and thought, well, I don't want to work for you anymore. You're not a good leader. You know, you're not like the, and I, and I could have filled in the blank, especially after being, you know, active duty for so long, but I chose not to. I chose to look at it and go, based on these societal norms, this is the perception. This is now, it's a new way of proving yourself. And I'm going to meet individuals where they need to be met. Mm-hmm. It's almost like this saying, and I'm probably saying this wrong because I don't remember the exact saying, um, basically don't get bitter, get better. That It sounds like that's exactly what you did. Uh, absolutely. I love that. Don't get bitter, get better. Yeah. <laughs> there, you know, because there, there's two choices. There's the positive and there's the negative. And, and what do we want to choose to be every single day? And yes, again, there are so many battles we will face over time as, as we're all facing this pandemic now on a global scale together, as we're facing hatred in mass scales, as we're, there are so many things right now in real time that I even believe the the civilian culture now is beginning to understand more and, and that the military culture is able to kind of come in and maybe showcase their resiliency and their adaptability, their, their ability to overcome these battles that we faced while serving. Now maybe we're able to give back in a different light and shed positive examples on our military service. You know, that's kind of how I view this the negativity that's happening is how can I shed light? How can I make it a positive experience for growth? Yeah, definitely. And I know you're doing that through um, your current business ventures. So before we talk about those, can you just give us really a snapshot of your career evolution? Because I'm sort of interested to see where your career led you with having both the background in, um, you know, in exercise science and all that, and then also with business. I'd like to hear how that went for you. Yeah, so when I when I realized that fitness was just a part of me, it wasn't the whole person concept. It's it's something that I share oftentimes with our, our military community is that you get out of the military and you think maybe you want to open your own business because you want to be your own boss. Or maybe like me, I was passionate about fitness and you're passionate about something. But when you're in the military, Megan, fitness is a part of your everyday routine and leadership. And these aren't things that are kind of, they're not optional. We don't pick and choose. It's kind of that, again, that whole person concept. We get up, we get ready, we groom ourselves, we, we're physically healthy, we try to make sure that we're eating a certain way, you know, the nutritional standards. It's all a part of the culture. Now, it doesn't mean everyone adheres to it. So we can add that real quick, that little blurb. Um, but we strive to be servant leaders within, especially our communities. And so as I look at when you transition out and I look at still serving my community and, and how can I add value yet do something that I want to do, I realized that physical fitness was only that small part of me. And being a business owner required so many more aspects. And you're not just working for yourself, but you're answering to every single person that comes through that door. And then it was the perception. It was, oh, isn't she adorable? You know, she's a little personal trainer. And it was, I just, for, for a moment in my life, I sat back and thought, what perception do you want out there? How do you want people to view you? And what are your goals and your aspirations? And so as I looked to pursue my master's degree, I, and I've shared this before, I looked at a master's in Christian studies, because again, the GI Bill was paying for you to go to school to continue with online education. I was a brand new mother. I actually finished my MPA with an emphasis in government and policy when my daughter was four months and my son was 20 months. Um, and so I look at, and I was a director at the YMCA. I was kind of launching the thought of Centurion Military Alliance. And, and so I share all that because had it been left to my own accord and not having any mentors or strong leaders around me, 
I wouldn't have gone down that path. And I wouldn't have, you know, understood, well, why am I so unhappy? Passion, you know, fitness is a passion of mine, yet opening the doors at 4 a.m. and closing them at 10 o'clock at night is grueling. Now I'm lonely. I'm not, I don't have the life I thought I would. I'm not surrounded by my brothers and sisters in arms to motivate me. And it was all these little factors that went into being a business owner. Mm -hmm. But due to my father's advice of achieving that bachelor's in business, I was able to successfully sell it to move on to become a director at the YMCA. From there, I worked for several other nonprofit organizations intermittently kind of and volunteering with them to see what was happening in the military space. And so as I finished this MPA with an emphasis in government policy, I began to become very, very interested in veteran advocacy and, and women veteran advocacy and looking at how are we supporting on a grander scale? How are we pushing others for success? And kind of looking at what I had gone through, looking at what my father had gone through in his transition, my mother had gone through in hers. And now both of my brothers, we kind of sat around the, the Texas bonfire, you know, the, the stars are bigger in Texas. Um, and we had a family conversation over where each of us were and what we were witnessing in real time. And so what we were witnessing was back in 2011, uh, Texas alone was, was just pushing so much on mental health and dumping millions of dollars into trying to come up with these peer-to-peer -peer support groups and uh, a lot of great initiatives. But my family thought, how are we how are we strong? And we kind of started to look at where we were strong. What were our strengths? And we were stronger because we all spoke the same language. We understood one another. We understood service. What was missing from the veterans that went from being so strong in the military to kind of just not being successful in their transition? Where where was that fall and how could we bridge the gap? And, and that's when the concept of Centurion Military Alliance was formed. And we started talking about how can we get further upstream so that as transitioning service members look to successfully transition, that they're aware of the societal norms, that they're aware on a grander scale of what they need to do in order to be successful. And because Megan, you've heard it, you know, thank you for your service. It's the yellow ribbons. It's the ribbon cuttings. It's the, it's, oh my goodness, you're going to be hired. All these people were military friendly. We mm -hmm. support you. And yet still we face where service members get out with this thought process that they're just going to get a job. And, and very quickly are they not only humbled, but again, it goes back to that no factor I was sharing with you earlier of now you're told there's no possible way you could do X, Y, and Z, when in your heart, in the core of who you are, you know that you can. Knowing that you can is so different than having the ability to speak to the fact that you can, to be able to articulate that relevant experience in a way that the person on the other side, that hiring official is going to understand. And, and so we started studying job descriptions and looking at career pathways. Why do colleges and institutions have these career pathways? Why do they have these programs developed? Why are they focusing on whether it's nursing or human resources, or now you know we've got our MBAs with emphasis in, why are we going that route? And that's because again, of the global demands. And, and so the, we realized that the language, the narrative needed to be changed further upstream. And so my father and I co-authored the Centurion Military Alliance multidisciplinary curriculum. And what this curriculum focuses on is it's called positionality and, and being self-aware of, of where one is on a global scale. What are these societal norms and how am I able to meet those demands? How am I able to come in? Positionality is a term in and of, of itself that requires one to suspend their bias. And so when you're reading a job description, does your education meet those job description requirements? 
Can you give an elevator pitch that articulates that experience? Can you tailor a resume that meets that job description? What are your interview skills? And, and we start going through this. Are you aware that you'll have to navigate you know, through and negotiate your salary? Are we aware of the financial demands? What is financial literacy? And, and we sit down and we ask these questions because as we're in the military, we think we're financially literate due to not just our ranks, but the fact that we can balance a checkbook. And, and this negates the fact that there's high credit card debt or maybe we're transitioning out and now we're unaware of the medical expenses that we'll have, the dental expenses. You know, it goes into all these different costs that a lot of service members are completely unaware of. And so this curriculum is teaching in real time and, and is constantly evolving and even more so now due to the global demands um, of COVID. And how do we virtually navigate through now? Um, and I'm thankful to say that when we became a 501c3, a nonprofit organization officially back in 2013, today we are now recognized by the Department of Defense as a force multiplier for the transition assistance program. And we've actually been able to teach further upstream at the service member random professional military education courses that they go through. And so that has been the goal. And now we are starting to see and witness in real time this change in narrative. And that's what we hope will lend to the overall holistic health, the well-being, the resiliency, the ability to continually move forward, because that is the foundation on which Centurion Military Alliance was created, is to have that holistic health, well-being, and resiliency, that firm foundation. Yeah, and I think everything that you said sounds so great. I'm sure that anyone listening is going to be interested in it. So from from a perspective of, you know, say I'm a veteran and I go to um, your website just after hearing you talk about it and you talk about the curriculum, which, which sounds great, super helpful. What does that look like for someone who wants to go and access that? Is it something that's just available on your website as a download or um, do people who register or come to your website, do they have to be assigned, you know, a mentor or somebody to work with at Centurion or how does that kind of work for them? Yeah, so Centurion Military Alliance, so it's cmawarrior.org, and on our website, there will be a few virtual events that are actually taking place. Our next virtual workshop is October 8th. Now, once one attends the virtual workshop, they will be given the, um, the workbook, and it's an assessment. University of Incarnate Word actually digitized the assessment. And so they will be given that and they will go through the assessment in real time with a facilitator. Now, the CMA facilitators, because, you know, we, we have all these great organizations out there and 100 percent doing amazing things, mentoring and guiding. But the missing piece, Megan, is the ability to ask questions and effectively case manage. And so each time. If one has a mentor and they're calling and they're asking different questions or they're only going off of what the individual shares with them, how is their progress? And so Centurion Military Alliance facilitators actually have a list of questions and they're assessing in real time. And so every 30 days, we're reevaluating where we are with our transition. And again, it goes back to that positionality piece of suspending our biases and looking at these questions in real time. Anything important that we do in life, we fill out an application. And as we look to transition, it, so many times we'll hear service members come in or it, it, our program is also for the caregivers, the military spouses and the dependents. And, and what I love about that, Megan, is because anyone looking at their future, anyone looking at, okay, what's my next step going to be and how can I successfully navigate with where I am now? CMA wants individuals to be able to say who they are today. I need to tell you who I am, but I also need to be progressing. And so having that awareness, that self-awareness and being able to articulate one's positionality lends to growth. 
So maybe today you told me you were interested in pursuing that next level of education, that certification, that licensure. 30 days from now, I'm going to want to reassess and kind of know how you're still feeling with that space. Are you still interested? Are you still heavily pursuing it? And, and tying in all of these factors, what the universities have found is that when you tie in education, finance, and vocation, you quickly realize that they're cyclical. And so, Megan, if I'm talking about my financial literacy, where I am right now in regards to finances, I'm talking about what, you know, what I what I should be understanding, if you will, is that my current vocation, my current level of employment dictates, obviously, whatever my salary is, is dictating my ability to be financially literate, mm -hmm. financially stable, which ultimately lends. And so does my level of academia lead to my position? Will that position allow me to continue on? And these are conversations that we're having in real time. And again, it's it's suspending the bias. It's allowing individuals to come in and say, you know, I was really interested in being a human resource manager until I went to the Bureau of Labor Statistics and found out they only make this mm -hmm. amount of money and this location that I wanted to live in. Well, no way. I don't want to do that. Did you know that a mechanic can make or an HVAC technician can make almost six figures living anywhere? And so these these realizations are, are so important and impactful, especially as we look at what are the high demand jobs right now? And how, again, do we, who claim to be servant leaders, those from the military community, successfully look to transition and, and to be part of our communities and continue to serve our communities? And I think, you know, your own background, Shantae, you talked about being interested in fitness and having pursued that career first and then realizing maybe it wasn't the best fit for you because of, you know, the hours that you were working and, you know, you're a young mom and it, it just wasn't ideal for you. And so there's nothing wrong with that. There's so much self-discovery that goes into deciding what you want to do really anytime in your career, but especially after leaving the military. There, there absolutely is. And, and that's the beauty in it is that we, it, from the military community, typically we are resilient, we are adaptable, and we overcome these obstacles. And, and this is exactly, this thought process, Megan, was exactly what led to the Victory Trades Alliance. It was, I, I got the phone call of, hey, are you interested in this position? Um, we're looking at launching this organization to be able to support and, and not only the military community, but to support all these local businesses and these trade schools to be able to change the narrative, to be able to go beyond the, you know, the, the blue collar mentality. And so as one of the schools that I that I'm partnered with says is it's it's from blue collar to new collar. It's looking at and, and any of us can can attest to this now, especially again due to the pandemic, the trades are essential personnel. So not only pre-COVID were the trade opportunities allowing for a six-figure income, um, paying higher than the national average of that of a college graduate when one does their research and they go to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, but now even more so because these are, are high-demand jobs. These are essential personnel. Most of us are working from home now, and, and we need I'm in Houston, Texas, so I need my AC to be working. I, I need, obviously, the electrical so that I can continue to teach on a global scale and utilize this great technology that we're all blessed with. Um, but, you know, I need the plumbing in my home. I need the safety and the comfort of my home. And, and so I looked at when I was asked to be president of the organization, I thought I, I accepted the role literally a few days before COVID, before we were all just kind of hunkered down and, and everything closed. And I thought the irony in that is that already I, I'm a huge advocate. I'm speaking because as you just said, Megan, I looked at my own progression within my career and, and I looked at it, I became a single mother a few years ago. There are many things in life that you're unprepared for and how are you rolling with it? And, and again, Yes, I have these these great accomplishments. I have higher ed, but how can I successfully walk into an organization and speak to the job description? 
how many, you know, you look at, let's take, you know, C-suite level individuals, how many are needed? And am I willing to take a step back possibly and go, well, in order to provide for my family, I might need to look at doing something completely different. And I, I call on our military community because I think that is what we are so great at is overnight we are able to change hats and we are able to step up to the plate. And so when I look at changing the narrative for the trades, not only was this great nation built upon the foundation of the trades, but in order to continue post-COVID, we need far more individuals willing to step up to the plate and take a position that maybe they never thought about, but they realize, wow, I can make up to six figures. I don't have to post every single day on social media and, and really sell myself because the service sells itself. They're, these are high demand occupational positions. And again, on a global scale needed. So when it came to being able to, to help support this initiative, Megan, I, I was again, absolutely behind it all the way. And the great thing about it is that with these types of roles, as you said, they're always in demand. That's never going to go away. That's going to, they're going to continue to grow and it's their nationwide opportunities. It's not something that you have to be located in a certain area. I mean, you can do these types of roles anywhere. You, you absolutely can. And I, I think that is why when you look at whether it's from the military installations, if whether they're sharing these positions or not, to, to the high school students, are, are they being made aware? And, and that's why when you look to change the narrative, it, it has to start further upstream. And it's going to take some time. Uh, I had a, a dear friend of mine tell me, when did we start snubbing our nose as Americans at opportunities? And I think there's a great lesson there. When did you start snubbing your nose? And, and we, again, might need to go and work at, at it with an organization or in a role that, that we never previously thought about. But will it provide you the stability to be able to continue to be successful, to be able to continue to serve your communities? And I think these are deep questions and those gut check moments in life that we have to address in order to, again, come out of this pandemic um, with even more grit. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I actually, it was just a few weeks ago, had the president of the National Waste and Recycling Association on the podcast. And we were just talking about um, kind of the same type of thing here where they're kind of considered to be less desirable types of jobs for, for whatever reason, because obviously, like you said, you can make a really good living doing it. They're stable, they're in demand jobs. And so it really is something that you have to evaluate what's important to me, what can I make a good living doing and supporting a family or, you know, whatever else the case may be that you would want to make <laughs> a decent amount of money per year. And it's just thinking, aligning your expectations with reality and seeing what's really out there. And these are great opportunities. Uh, they absolutely are. You know, you can't, I, I, kind of tease, you know, our community every once in a while on how many project managers are needed, how many HR managers are needed, you know, we, we kind of, we, it's, it, there's a need as well, and, and we go and we, we pursue these educational certifications and licensures, um, but I, I even, you know, Megan, I recently trained some United Airline pilots that had been furloughed, and what I loved about one individual was, he was also in real estate and he had a couple properties in Phoenix. And after my, going through my course, he called me and he said, you know what? I need an HVAC school because it just dawned on me that I've got these properties. I'm in Phoenix. I need my AC to work. And why I'm furloughed, why not add something else to my toolkit? Mm -hmm. And and that's a beautiful way to look at it is, is what other things can we do? And, and that's why I'm such a huge advocate of education on a whole, these certifications, licensures, these lifelong skills that will allow you no matter what to maintain the, the success or the integrity of who you are as an individual, having the ability to be able to give back. I can take, you know, and, and not to pick on LinkedIn, I love LinkedIn, but I can take all these LinkedIn courses. But what happens, Megan, if, if LinkedIn shuts down? And, um, you know, I, I'm old enough to where I've been through, whether it was, you know, Zanga was one of the first social media platforms. Mm -hmm. I remember MySpace too. You know, we, we've kind of progressed. And while, again, we love these opportunities, 
like LinkedIn, where we have 95% of all recruiters sourcing through it. But I want to make sure first, before you go and you read another, you know, someone else's book, that you have the tools in your tool belt to be successful. We can quote and we can be parrots all day long. What's going to make us stand out and be relevant in order to successfully support our families? Mm-hmm. And I love that example that you gave of the furloughed um, airline employee because it's one of those things where if the economy is good and things are stable and great, then you've got two different sources of income potentially. And then when things aren't great, you at least have one. So it's always just making sure that you're providing for yourself and investing in yourself in the best way possible. Absolutely. So have you, you've obviously had a very impressive career as if being, you know, a co-founder of a company wasn't enough. You're also the president of another one. So I really appreciate you sharing all of that with us. I think it's great information, but you know, with all of that, is there anything that stands out to you as being a defining moment of your career, whether it's with either of the companies we just talked about, your military career, um, really just anything that you can look back at and say that was the moment where things changed? You know, I, I think obviously um, due to the pandemic, maybe something that I haven't shared is I think a defining moment now is being CEO of a nonprofit organization, CEO and co-founder and traveling all across the globe. I, I've been looking at Facebook memories and, and kind of going down memory lane recently. And what occurred to me was the fact that I thought I had to be in all these different places, Megan. You know, I thought physically I had to show up. You have to shake the hands. You have to make sure you're seen. You're, you're trying to support and grow an organization. And you think, again, that you just have to wear all these hats and you have to do a lot of yeses. And with all of these yeses, one of the biggest defining moments was realizing that, and, and it's something that my father had, had shared with me, he said, you say you're a yes person. And I said, I am a yes person. And he's like, let me explain something to you. He said, if you're telling everyone yes, you're in fact telling someone else no. And I think that defining moment for me as I realized, how was I going to now successfully navigate through this pandemic? How was I gonna continue to support our military community at large? And it was realizing that sometimes you have to take a step back, obviously in order to launch forward, but we needed to regroup and we needed to do it really quickly. And so understanding that pausing and taking a moment and not saying yes to everything because in fact you're saying no to something else or someone else and kind of taking all of that that thought process and saying okay now now what i have an incredible board with centurion military alliance and the board that first week that we were all you know shut down that first week one of my board members said we need to have a meeting let's go and and he said we need to launch zoom meetings and at the time, Megan, I was kind of like, hmm, what's Zoom? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, what are we doing here? And, and now all we want to do is a Zoom, Zoom, Zoom um, and Microsoft Teams. And, you know, we've, we've got all these different platforms now that we're utilizing. But we initially, we were the first, and I, I was so thankful, we were the first boots on the ground organization that was teaching in person to go virtual. And it was due to having a great team. And I, I think those defining moments for me of witnessing that one, you're never, you're never doing anything alone. You know, we, we think we reach the pinnacle or the mountain by climbing alone, but there's always someone next to us. There's always something else guiding us that's stronger, that's faster, that's more, you know, that's inspirational, that's motivating. And I, as a CEO, have to allow others around me to be able to to lead, to be able to pick up where I'm leaving off, to be able to sometimes help carry me, to be able to teach me something new. And, and I'm one that firmly believes in lifelong learning. And I, I think that oftentimes we get stuck within our own realm of what we think we know. And, and so I think that this defining moment for me has been able to witness on a global scale, the military community coming together. It's incredible to be able to witness, I spoke at a women's symposium recently last week, to be able to witness on a global scale, 
all these, not only women, but men come together to learn more because they had the time to actually jump on because it wasn't in person this year. It was via Zoom. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that this defining moment, and, and it's my hope and prayer for, for all of our listeners, is to be able to sit back and there's nothing that we cannot accomplish together. And it's in that unity that you realize if we're all striving to, to embrace and to be stronger for humanity on a whole. You know, Megan, you shared with me, you have two young children. And as I look at mine, I think looking at my children during this pandemic has been a huge defining moment. I want a future for them. I still believe in humanity and, and I want to make sure that I'm doing whatever it takes, that I'm being strong and resilient and adaptable so that they can in turn be strong, resilient, and adaptable, that they know that there's no obstacle that together that we can't overcome. And those defining moments they just allow us to become better leaders, to, to be able to share on, a, again, on a larger scale, it's that hope that you inspire and motivate or else <laughs> throw someone off the platform. You know, we, we want to be able to bring as many people with us um, because, again, it's the overall goal of, of believing in service, of, of striving to always be a servant leader. Well, and I love that. And I was actually going to ask you next what the biggest lesson in leadership is that you've learned. But I think that that pretty much does a good job of summing it up unless you had something else you wanted to add. No, no. I think that, uh, again, just the biggest lessons in leadership is is looking around you and and realizing that everyone is a leader within their own right. And, And I hope that that is just one last takeaway is that someone is following you. Whether you think you're in a leadership role or not, there is someone out there who is watching you and witnessing you in action. And so be self-aware and, and, and make sure that, again, you're looking out and you're going, okay, if someone is watching me, how can I make sure that I'm being better, that I'm being the best version of myself so that I'm helping to uplift another? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so you have lots going on right now with both businesses, but can you share a big picture goal that you have for either of those businesses or just life in general? Again, with Victory Trades Alliance, it's my hope and intent to truly start to change the narrative and and for America on a whole to realize that we have to step up into these roles and we have to look at other viable options so that post pandemic, we can continue to move forward. And right now that it, that's the biggest goal that I personally have. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. So one last question for you, do you have any advice for veterans who are beginning their transition out of the military, especially, you know, you've referenced COVID. So especially during, you know, this time now, it, it's just completely different. I, I can't even imagine being a new job seeker, you know, out on the market trying to look for something and everything's virtual. So do you have any advice for them if they're feeling a little bit discouraged right now? I would, I would share to, you know, again, always go back and remember that moment, that defining moment in your military career where you thought there was no way there was no way you could accomplish. There was no way you could finish. There was no, that deployment, that whatever that hardship was that you faced in the military. To be able to look at this transition and say again, how can I trans- successfully transition out? How can I look to reintegrate into this dominant culture? How can I look at, yes, there's chaos, but what are the societal norms? How can I be better? How can I take my military skill sets, everything that our military culture embodies, suspend my bias and move forward? And I, I think acknowledging that we have worn so many hats in the military, that we have overcome so many challenges, obstacles, barriers, we have been successful at accomplishing these, these missions to just look at it as that next step. It might not be the position or the job, that you've dreamed about right now, but maybe there's a volunteer opportunity that will fill that void 
because I think we can see there are plenty of volunteer opportunities out there. And, and so again, remembering the whole person concept, that entire, that military culture that you're coming from, and how can you share that as servant leaders within the communities that you reside? Keep an open mind. And, you know, lastly, just, I can't stress enough about keeping an open mind and suspending the bias. Be prepared for a lot of no's, but remember the person who told you to get up anyways. And we need you to get up, to step up to the plate and be willing to bat no matter what ball's coming at you. Mm-hmm. Well, that is such great advice. I really appreciate you joining me. I could listen to you talk for the rest of the day. I'm sure most of our listeners could too. So <laughs> we'll definitely include the links to check you out with both Centurion, Victory Trades Alliance. And I think I saw that you have a podcast for Victory Trade Alliance too. Yes, we do have a podcast. So it's Vet Nation and we are actually launching launching the first season here within the next couple of weeks. I'm extremely excited, um, but it, it is. It's, it's Vet Nation and we strive to awaken the warrior within. Awesome. I love that. So certainly anyone listening to this, you're obviously a fan of podcasts. Go check that one out. Um, This podcast might be going live around the time of that. And so hopefully people can just go check it out after listening to this. That sounds amazing. Thank you again so much, Megan, for having me today. Thanks so much. It was such a pleasure to have you. And I look forward to reconnecting with you sometime in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond. So make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.